Welcome to the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. I'm Rebecca Plum, your big sister. And I'm Sean Serha, your GBF. We're not that hot or that young. But we believe it's a state of mind that helps us build adaptable and profitable businesses. We rely on the support of our design besties to get through each day. So let's explore the emotional, practical, and humorous sides of being interior designers. Welcome to the club. Hey, Sean. What's up, Rebecca? We've got Kate Lester with us. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for having me. This is so exciting. Thank you for saying yes. Oh, my God. Of course. And you want me to talk about myself? I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) Never turned down an opportunity to talk about myself. (laughs) I mean, you might as well. Who does, right? Yeah, we're super excited. You like do a lot. So I feel like we have a lot to ask you. Kind of got your hands this on a lot of This is my ninth good- coffee of the day, which is why I do a lot. So okay, I'm here. Okay. I'm, I'm, ca- I'm caffeinated and I'm ready. So as we sit here, it's Monday. And like something that I think you gave me permission for a long time ago was like, just don't do anything on Mondays. Like that you have to get out of the house, get ready. Yeah. It's been such a relief to just know I don't have to be, except for this, but I don't have to be on and like, feels like a big deal. At a meeting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I used to get the Sunday scaries really bad and which is so funny because like I have my own company. Right. So my husband was like, well, why don't you just not work on Mondays? And I was like, no, I can't do that. Cause I, it's physically impossible for me to take a day off. I'll just like die. I don't know what to do. Right. So I said <laughs> to my team, like, maybe I'll just do all of my like marketing and PR meetings and things that aren't related to clients on Monday. That way mm-hmm. on Tuesdays, I can come into the office and I can be like not distracted in a hundred different ways. And I can really focus on our clients. And so I try to do that. I mean, it doesn't always work out that way, sure. but I agree. I feel like sometimes it's less pressure to know that you don't actually have to put on like a real bra. Like you're like, oh my God, tomorrow <laughs> I'm not, I can I'm not wearing a real bra wear right like now. a sports bra all day if I want to. Like I'm wearing a hat that says tequila right now. So I'm still working, you know, my employees, yeah. like, you know, still working all day. We're still talking a ton, but, but it does give me a little bit more breathing room because I feel like a lot of us have other stuff to do on the weekends and you own companies. So you're like, Oh, I have to do groceries and I have to do dry cleaner and I have to. And so you're like, Oh my God, when do I get an hour to breathe? So I, this helps. And I feel like it gave me that like, Oh yeah, you're the boss. Like why, mm-hmm. if I'm the boss, why do I have to be like a regular person and go to work on a Monday? Because like we have a early work ethic. My sister yeah. and I talk about this all, all the time because she is a she owns her own company too, and mm-hmm. she's like, "Why are we like this? Like, why do I take a walk at noon?" She's like, "I am the boss. I could take a walk at like ten, you know." Right, right. So we can't figure out what is wrong with us, but I think it's something that's ingrained in you when you have a good work ethic, and you just have to break free of that. And it's bit. societal programming, totally. yeah. So totally. Thank you for that. Like I yeah. love it. I do yeah, I just do admin and I try not to yeah. like leave my house. And I feel like people don't understand how many other things are happening when you run a company. Like, you know, I can spend an hour on the phone with my tax person or my finance person or mm-hmm. my PR team, and none of that has to do like I'm not billing for any of that, right? So and those are not all conversations you also want to have in your office all the time, right? So I think it's good to, to allow yourself some grace 
and bra-free days. Exactly. Ease into it. (laughs) So, okay. You talked about work work ethic. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. But maybe we should also go back and, like, explain for the hotties who are listening, where does that come from from you? And, like, how did you get to where Kate Lester is right now? And maybe you you decide how deep you want to go into that rabbit hole, but... (laughs) Well, it started when my mom was in labor. No, I'm kidding. I I feel like, okay, so I feel like my mom is super funny. And she said this to me when I was old enough to understand. But she always tells people that I was just in her life to birth her, to birth me and make my lunch. And that was it. Like, which is super funny because I would trade my lunch for like a better lunch very early on. Okay. But, but I, it was like a metaphor for that. Like I came out being like very bossy and very determined. I have 26 cousins. And when we would go and do things, I would be like, you guys, this is the plan. Hmm. And I was like the youngest one of all of them. And so I sort of, I think I always came out just, you know, I was always like cheerleading captain or team leader or like president or whatever. So I think that you have, that's a personality trait, right? As a leader, Mm -hmm. or it's something that even if I wanted to be a wallflower, I wouldn't know right? I just like verbal diarrhea always, right? Like, oh my God, hi, you guys. Let me just take the lead. But I always, I did not want to be a designer. I did not grow up wealthy. We didn't know people that had designers, really. I wanted to make money. my, My parents divorced really young and my mom worked super hard, but, you know, she was a single parent. And I remember her, you know, balancing that checkbook like it was nobody's business down to the penny, right? And I just remember saying to myself, like, this feels stressful. I'm going to make more money than this because I don't want this stress, right? So a lot of my goals were money-driven. And I went to school for finance so I could work in a really fancy building. And I could work with men in suits. And I would wear like a pencil skirt. And I'd have a briefcase. And I would be like super rich. And I would do that thing where Cosmo tells you to like transform your 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 outfit from day to night. Oh, day I was going to do that, right? <laughs> and I, wore, I worked in finance for like six months in, in like a marketing position still, but I worked in like corporate America and just completely hated it. And then decided I was going to go back to school for design, which made everyone in my family have a heart attack, right? Because I'm literally making six figures out of college. I'm driving this sporty little BMW. I got like a corner office. My parents are like, Whoa, we're done. You know, it's the dream. And I was like, right? you guys, guess it. what? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, can I have some money? Cause I'm going to go back to school. <laughs> and they were like, no, you're on your own. So I bartended at night and I went back to school for interior design and I got a job in a design firm where I was like literally the sample library girl. And which is yeah. super funny because like I got, I, like I got a scholarship to USC. I was in like the school of business, like, and I'm taking out the trash at this designer's library. I'm like, dude, I could do your taxes right now. Like I could invest your, I could get you a 529. Like I know all yeah. these things that are Give not applicable to this like- <laughs> job. Right. But like none of this is applicable. Right. And so it was very humbling to be getting coffee for people who I have like more education than they do. Right. And I mm-hmm. like, was like, oh my God, I just used to be working in a corner office and now I'm sitting like facing a wall in this like design firm and no one knows my name. (laughs) And so it was really humbling. And so I worked my way up there. I also like, then I like slept furniture at Ethan Allen. I sold furniture at Ethan Allen for a while, which was also fucking humbling. Worst job ever. 
Everybody who worked at Ethan Allen with me was really mean. I hope you're listening. You guys suck. Look at her now. <laughs> yeah. Like competitive? <laughs> they were just like, I was very young and I was like, oh yeah, this is just like stepping stone for me. Like I'm, I'm going to like, you know, I'm just going to do this. So I can learn about retail. Then I'm going to move on. And they were like, okay, you need to check yourself. Like you have way too much ego. And I was like, all right, cool. Bye. Um, mm-hmm. It was a really interesting experience, but it did help me learn about like furniture and, yeah. and mass manufacturing of furniture. And I did go get to go to like Connecticut where they do all their stuff. And it made a lot more sense and kind of every, I believe everything happens for a reason. So that actually helped me speak like commercial furniture when I started wanting to pursue these collections with these conglomerates. Right. Mm. So that was an interesting process. Then and I probably worked, sales, I worked, right? Yeah. Sales. I mean, yeah. I mean, and also knowing that I never want to have a commission-based structure if I ever open retail stores because it doesn't foster teamwork or a lovely place to, to, to be. So I learned all kinds of things, even though it was horrific. And then, and then I worked, I mean, I've worked for a few designers that were a little nutty and then great ones. And then at some point I was, my husband got promoted and we were going to move away from, you know, the hub of Los Angeles, West Hollywood, which is where all the design is, where we were living and, and so I was like, I, I think I'm, I think I'm ready. I think I can just like quit my job and I think I can start my own company. And he was like, okay, here's the deal. You have to make $500 a month for us to survive. And I was like, I mean, mind you, this was like 15 years ago. Right. And yeah. I'm like, cool, I'm going to do it. I'm going to start on the guest room. I'm going to commit to $500 a month. And then like two months later, I had an office and like three employees. <laughs> so oh my I, did God. Make, I did make $500 a month. Turns out. I was ready and, you know, it was still really hard, but, but I did, I did not spend a ton of money. Like I didn't get the office first. I got the clients first. And I think, I think there's a lot of like Instagram bullshit about people being like, Oh my God, I have a design firm and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, be smart about your money and be smart about your investments. And like, Mm -hmm. who cares if you have a fancy office or not, because you don't want to be out of business because you didn't make smart financial decisions. So I did not take any debt to open an office. I did not use a credit card. I got those clients. I worked in my home office for a couple months. And then once I could fit our human body into my guest room. My husband was like, this is weird. Like, please go get an offsite space. So I think it's really important to, to start slow and start small. And no one's like, I feel like no one says that and no one's showing that. Like, here's my shitty home office, you know? Like, so I did have a shitty home office. It had like brown carpet. What were your first employees? Like what were I just had like roles? I just got like a part-time assistant, right? Somebody that could like mm-hmm. help me. God, I mean like source things, like order things. Like I would just put things on her desk and be like, "Can you order all of this?" My very first project, two projects were just furnishing projects. They weren't new construction. They weren't these huge ground-up projects. Like can I say that again louder for the people in the back? Like your first projects may not be these huge ground-up Like, oh my God, I have an $8 million house and I want you to design the whole thing. Like they may be a bathroom or a powder room, or it may be someone's bedroom. So they were, these were furnishing projects where it was like, one of them was, you know, somebody that I'd gone to college with had done really well for himself. And he bought a beach house and he was like, I'm a bachelor. Here's a 
little money. It was a very small budget. And he was Please like, help me. yeah. Like- and so I was like, okay, great. And then the other one was again, like a, a friend of a friend, but the the thing is that like, you need someone to help you. If you're furnishing two houses, you're kind of like, oh no, I, you know, I, I'm trying to be here and do this. And it's all new and I'm setting up all my trade accounts and I'm getting my resale certificate and all these things, you know, that nobody teaches you in design school because I don't know, they just want us to do color wheel all day. Yeah. So I think, like yeah. That. So we think, I can't believe it's still like that. And that just makes me so angry because I feel like that's a whole nother podcast episode, but like why are creative schools setting designers up to fail? Because when you go to USC for business, they teach you everything you need to know about being a business person, right? Like there's mentorships, there's there's talk about like how, how there's a whole class on like how to interview, write your resume, your elevator pitch, your, I mean... I felt so prepared going into the corporate world. And like, I went to design school and I was like, what the fuck are we doing? This is not going to take, how much do I charge clients? Where is, how do you write a contract? Like, what the fuck? So if it's still like that, I'm disappointed. And then I may, now that's going to be like my new mission to change that if I have more free time. Yeah, we just had this group of students, design students come in to my office and I don't know whatever they just had like a tour and stuff and we were showing them like you know these are you know the rugs we ordered from this is the company we use and this is how we make money and this is how we you know mark them up and we sell buy low sell high like whatever and we're like are we telling you stuff you already know and they're like no like you've never learned anything about buying wholesale they know everything about charles eames and nothing about how to make a fucking dollar and it's like Fuck Charles Eames, dude. Okay. Like I need to know how I'm going to pay my mortgage. Okay. So how do I organize my business efficiently (laughs) and make money? money? And I feel like that's the goal. And I feel like maybe that a lot of that stems from the old culture of like designers who were not like, don't you feel like back in the old days, it was like a lady with a pop collar whose husband was wealthy and all Mm -hmm. her friends were wealthy. And she's just like, I don't know. I'm going to be a designer. And it, it's only now become like a career that I feel like you can choose at, at any, yeah. from any background. And so right. ne- I feel like now if we're teaching people how to do this, we also have to teach them the process and how to be successful. And, and that talking about money and charging and contracts is not taboo. It's like, we're here, like, yes, I'm here to create beautiful spaces, but I'm not working for free. So it shouldn't be right. taboo to talk about like that we're doing this so we can all, you know, make a living. And also like make the industry normalize charging for everything. Like, the, I think the old school thing was, yeah, like, sh- are you sharing your discount? Yeah. Like, no, it's not a discount. It's a commission and right. we don't share it like right. that's the way we have a living i think it's is it max humphrey that's always it. like fuck you pay me on his instagram i love him by <laughs> yes. the way it's people like what's that paint color and he's like oh it's fuck you pay me and it's like sometimes like i just want to have hats made that say that because it is true and i think it's hard because it's intellectual property and we are one of those those main like 
if there's an attorney on my kid's soccer team, I'm not like, hey, can I run this by you really quick about, you know, this case yeah. that I need, right? But for some right. reason... Since we're the, standing here at, at the, you right. know, at the side of the field for the Saturday afternoon, like... But for some reason, the boundary isn't there where he feels like he can say, what's your favorite white paint color? And I'm like, oh, yeah, you know what it is? Right. It's fuck you, pay me. Like, I don't do that. So it yeah. is interesting that we're still not quite there yet. I mean, I think it's because we've so many designers are women and we have just been taught to be nice. Yeah. People think they can roll over us and it's something we all need to like get over yeah. and educate ourselves and people, you know, the public totally. like respect us. I do have a builder mm-hmm. friend, a builder friend who is, he, he did something so cool when I was asking him, like, how do you, how do you not take these small projects when, you know, when you get bigger, how are you saying to people like, you know, I don't want this or this is too small for me. And he's like, oh, I just tell them like, you know, we have a a business model and that project like doesn't fit within our business model. And, you know, for, for the, you know, the way that our company is structured. And I'm like, oh my God, that sounds amazing. And so we say that a lot, right? Like, you know, Mm -hmm. we're a small company and now that we are a little bit more picky because I'd love to see my family like once a week, I will say, you know, we do have minimums and we do have a structure. And, and so I say, you know, oh, unfortunately that just doesn't fit with our business model. And like, what are people going to say to that? Right? Like it's your business. It's your business Change model. Your business model? Like, yeah. I mean, I guess, but yeah. get in line. Right. Like, so, but yeah, exactly. So like think, there's someone else they can go to. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we, you know, I don't refer other people, but I will say there's plenty of other designers that, you know, that is their business model, that kind of project. And that's a perfect mm-hmm. fit for them. So, so I think you just have to be meaner all the time. All the time. I mean, it's not mean to be firm. Like, I mean, that's something like Sean talks about a lot. And he has like a more natural ability to have firm boundaries. Yeah. And I feel like... I love my boundaries. I don't know. Is Me it too. gender? I, do I don't too. know. But he has always had it. Like, it's right. never been an issue. Like, I've had to kind of like get there. Yeah. It's and... birthed by trauma, though. Like, let me just put that out there. Like, <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm it, not. Yeah, it comes from comes. From it somewhere. comes from trauma. It comes from like protecting myself. Like, I, you know, I don't need. This isn't like the Oprah show. We're not going to go into like my parents' right. divorce and like relationship with family. But like, yeah, it builds from that. But then it was also really reinforced by this like corporate banking atmosphere right. that I worked in for a right. long time, which is like. That's called overtime, and we either decide if we want to approve it and pay for it or not. Or Mm -hmm. that person doesn't have a corporate phone, so you can't call them on the weekends and do work with them. And maybe now it's blurred as people have started working from home and they're doing remote work. But kind of how I like got brought through it was that idea of no, no, that role doesn't you that's a nine to five job. That's it. We can't call them on the weekend because that's going to create some HR compliance issue or whatever. And I think it only reinforced for me this idea of like, I want to have weekends. I don't want to get random text messages about stuff that like throws me out of my timeline when I'm sitting and having dinner with my family. And, you know, I think it takes a lot of time to to think. Like you have to set those boundaries on your own, right? So you're totally right. Like I set those boundaries right away with our clients that we are a business and we are, I do not respond to, you know, I don't say it like that, but you know, you kind of teach people how to treat you. So if somebody emails you on a Saturday, 
then I email them back on Monday and I say, Oh yeah, I got your your email this morning. Right. I'm telling you, I got your email this morning. And then, you know, and then I, or if someone texts me at like six o'clock, I say, Oh, I'll get you back in the morning when I get in the office. And so I think if you're, if you're really sharing those kind of boundaries and you don't have to be rude about it, but I think, you know, most of our clients are our family people, right? They work a lot of my clients are entrepreneurs, right? So they don't want their, they don't want to talk about that kind of stuff at night or on the weekend either, right? They want to spend time with their families. And so I think if you say it as, you know, oh, or a lot of times I'll be like, hey, it's bath time, but I'll get you in the morning when I get into the office. And then it reminds them like I'm a fucking human being with family. Right. And so I think, and so I think that that sets, you know, you set your boundaries with people, you kind of teach them. And most people I feel like get it really fast when you do that. Yeah. Do you feel like people, I mean, I feel like you probably have like a really friendly, like open rapport with your clients when you're in work mode that they want to be friends with you? Like, <laughs> yes. does that I do not happen? fraternize with my clients. Yeah, it's really interesting. I feel like a lot of the builders that we work with end up becoming like really good friends with our clients. And I just keep everybody... I try to keep everybody at like arm's length where after their project, if it works out that like we become friends and we want to like go on vacation together, that can happen. But I do yeah. really keep it as... I try to keep it professional because I think it blurs the lines for everything because what we're doing is so personal. Yeah. But you want to you want to still maintain that client designer relationship. And I think it gets complicated yeah. for everyone during the project if you if you don't. Like they're paying you for a service and they're paying for your time. And so you want to maintain that level of professionalism at all times. I'm super efficient because we bill by the hour. So like I don't you know, a lot of times, like I'll get to the meeting and the builders will be like, Oh, how was your trip? And I'll be like, All right, okay, guys, are we going to get started? And sometimes I'm sure that seems like strange, but you know, it's part of what we want to do. It's also part of a level of respect, right? Where you want to understand that we're not here to fluff pillows. Like I know what I'm doing. I'm on the job site. Mm-hmm. I'm not yeah. the, the decorator lady, right? I have a good story for you. And I don't think I've told this one on a podcast yet. So this is a good one. I remember going to one of my first job sites. Yeah, this is a good one. I remember going to one of my first job sites when I first started my company and I pulled up and I show up and the builder looks at me and I'm looking at the plans. You know, I'm like, hi, how are you? And he looks at me and he goes, oh, I'm good. And he's like, and then he like, doesn't say anything. He's like standing there. I'm standing there. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Right. And he's like, well, I figure we just wait till your boss gets here and then we'll get started. <gasps> oh. <laughs> and then I was like, oh. And I look down at my plans and I look up at him and I say, I am the boss and window 32 is in the wrong place. Okay. <laughs> and so that is how I like to run. And I think when you start to like, oh my God, let's talk about our kids and oh my God, let's talk about, yeah. then you can't have it all. So you have to decide, am I going to be badass designer lady or am I going to be like the mom friend? And if if you're going to be the mom friend, they're going to look at you like the mom friend, right? Or am I going to be this professional badass that just rolled up and is ready to go? Um, And I choose that role because I think it it suits me better. And then when the project's finished, we can all be friends, right? We can go to dinner, we can do whatever we want, but, but that's how I like to be perceived the whole time. So... 
that's just a and it makes sense like they because the other way is like did, are you charging me for this exactly like what, i don't care about your kid yeah, yeah. your weekend. right like yes like follow me on instagram for that shit like i don't you know like yes so i think it's really <laughs> important you know like it's important to to maintain that for me and a lot of people maybe that's not their business model but this is my business model and i feel like it serves us well throughout this project especially when you're dealing with architects contractors ppu I tend to like roll up and I'm like short in stature and I sound like I'm five years old. And so it really goes a long way for me to know my shit and be prepared and be ready to kind of set the tone from the beginning of the project. Absolutely. Yeah. And you, yeah, you I definitely touched on a couple of things. It needs to be a balance. Like it's that establishing the credibility and your expertise it at every moment, right. you know, like it doesn't always have to be in your mm-hmm. face reminding people of it, but it's like, no, we need to make sure that that tone is there, that I'm not just here as like a friend who has right. some thoughts on a paint right. color. I'm here because I have expertise, knowledge, education. Totally. I have tons of what not to do's behind me that tell me why this is a good decision. Right. I've seen the bad way that goes a long way, but also the like, you mentioned the hourly piece, which that surprised me a little bit. So maybe we can like sure. take a take a diversion onto why wouldn't my main thought was, okay, you've done a lot of projects. You must have had some thoughts about hourly versus flat rate at some point. Yeah. For you as you are right now, as Kate Lester, you know, interiors yeah. is right now, why not flat rate? Like, why didn't you go that way? Because you will lose your shit on a project for every single time if you flat fee. You want people to respect your time, you charge by the hour. Charge We charge in 15-minute increments. You want to know how many text messages I get on the weekend? Fucking zero, okay? <laughs> because zero, a text yeah. message is a 15-minute charge, okay? So yeah. if you charge a flat fee, let me tell you a couple of things. First of all, you're a designer, not you, Sean, not you, Rebecca, okay? But out there listening, mm-hmm. there is a designer out there who mm-hmm. has done three or four projects and is like, I'm going to charge a flat fee. No, you are not. You have no idea what you are doing. You do not know how many hours mm-hmm. it takes you. Okay. Yes. I could probably charge takes a years flat fee. years to get that much. And I would not lose my shit. But guess what? Let me tell you a couple of things. First of all, people will respect your time more when you charge hourly. Secondly, if you have a full team and you know, you know, you've got your, we're working on five or six new build projects at a time, right? So if there's a delay, does your flat fee include delays? Does your flat fee include, like, what does it include? Did you literally, what is your contract? 47 pages, right? So then what happens if you are a luxury design firm and your client says to you, you know what? I'd love for you. I know this wasn't included in our original scope, but we're building a pool house now and I want you to work on it. And I want you to design the whole thing. And I want you to be involved in the landscape design too. I know that's not in our original con- contract. So what are you going to, you're going to re-fucking evaluate your fee now? No, I just charge hourly. I'm like, I'll work on your daughter's dorm room if you want me to, because you're paying my hourly fee. So let's go. Right? So when your project takes longer, when your project scope increases, you're not having to have that conversation where you're saying, well, now we have to renegotiate and reevaluate and re and if your client is a luxury client, they want ease of use, right? So they're like, mm-hmm. I want to own you and I want to own you and your brilliant mind during my project. So what's your retainer? Mm-hmm. What's your hourly fee? Make it worth our while, right? So 
I think make your hourly fee high enough. We tier our hourly fees based off of everybody's knowledge in our office, right? So it's like a law firm. And so if somebody's picking up paint chips, they're not paying or or doing paint samples, they're not paying my time. They're paying maybe an intern's time or a a design assistant's time. Billing the time and calculating it, and that's somebody's full-time job at my office. So this is not a structure for everyone, right? Okay. She's amazing. How many people are on your team across all of it? With the Between home and your design side. 12. So it's a lot of people, but I will say it is the most lucrative way to bill because when we have compared flat fees versus when you run your PL, first of all, if you don't know what a PL is, you should be running one at the end of every project. And if it's called a profit and loss Mm -hmm. statement and it tells you if you lost your shit or if you made money on a project, right? This, I can talk about this (laughs) all day, right? Okay. So if you're not running one after every project, you should be because let's say you do a bedroom project and you're like, oh, you run your PL, you're like, I made. 10 grand on my bedroom project. Okay. So there you go. Mm-hmm. That's my goal. What is my percentage? How much did I make? We run a PL after every project to see what was our margin on drapes? What was our, because we can categorize all our stuff that we sold into, we use right. Design Manager, but I'm sure like everybody, every software has that, right? So you should be looking at like, where are you making the most money? Like five years ago, I realized I was like making so much money when I buy tile and slab and I was never buying tile and slab before that. Now I'm like, you're not picking it. Like I'm buying it. If I pick it and design it, I'm buying it. So give me the money instead. Yeah. Instead of handing it off to the contractor. Who's like, Oh, what? Okay. I'll just make the 20% on this. So please be knowing those margins. And so I think that it just really encourages everyone since we switched to a higher hourly rate and, you know, we're cognizant about how we bill, right? So let's say you're training someone new and they're learning. They're not, I'm not billing for every hour. You know, I have to review all the billing at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. But I've also done enough projects now that when people come to us and they say, oh God, hourly billing, that's so scary. I can give them a range and say, well, based off your square footage, it's going to be between this much and this much over the course yeah. of the project. However, if you go long or you have me do your kid's dorm room or you have me do the pool house, that's going to make that fluctuate, yeah. right? Make a bunch and of changes. And they like it because yeah. they get it. They're like, okay, that's a, those are a range. I understand. And then I'm in charge of the client if I'd like to expand that range. They always end up spending more because so many things come up during a project. Like you have a contractor who sucks, right? And it's like, I need drawings. I lost the drawings. I need you to redo them. Or I didn't open the binder that you left yeah. me. Or I don't, I don't know how to use a QR code. So you, you know, like you should make more money when you have an inept contractor that they decided to hire because they wanted to save money. Right. So like you shouldn't right. be based. Like, so if you had done a flat fee, you're going to, that contractor is a wild card. Okay. So you're going to eat a lot of that over yeah, the course of that project. Totally. So I think that knowing that, you know, a lot of times we're not, a lot of times we have great clients that are like, I only want to work with the people you like. And we're like, we love you and you should breed more clients like you. Right. But a lot of times we're not involved in that process. And so we shouldn't be suffering financially because, you know, of a choice our clients have made. Never once have I said, darn, I wish I would have charged a flat fee. So you can take that with you and you can ponder that to for this week or this weekend. But yes, it is It is a process. It's a process that we sort of swear by. It's not for everyone. It, I will tell you, I have lost projects because of it. People have come to me and said, there's no way I'll pay an hourly fee. And I have said, well, I totally understand. This is my business model. Right? right? And so yeah. it is what it this is. This is so, how we do it. And I will tell you, 
you know, there's 10 other designers that will tell you that that is not right. Right. So that's what our industry is Mm -hmm. nuts. But I do believe that, especially for people first starting out, I know people are scared about time, about hourly billing, but you have to figure out what you have to be, give people ranges and be like, okay, let's say I'm going to do your bedroom. I think it's going to take 20 hours between 20 and 30 hours. And they're like, okay. So then they can do some mental math and go from there. Obviously when we do new construction projects, we're giving them much larger ranges and larger numbers, but it also makes it sound like, you know what you're doing. Right. Like I'm like, well, I just pulled five reports based off of similar square footage projects. And this is what these people spent. And this is what these people spent. And they're like, wow, you're like a real business. <laughs> you're not just like, yeah, you're know, not just seven grand. <laughs> yeah. Pulling a number yeah, out. You don't make up the hours that go on the invoice at the end of the month and go, oh, I guess it was about 30 minutes of that. Like, no, it's documented. You know no, how much time I would you're spending, always... where it goes. Like, yes. We have a coding system. It's very cool. It's very evolved. It's very complicated, but it has evolved over the years. But we we literally build like a law firm. So everybody gets an invoice every month. And it's like a 10-page invoice of ever, the code, what the person did, what day it was, how long they did it. It's some shizzle. Like it's it's like a whole job. But it is <laughs> is it I will always in design manager. I do, we do this and we do it in Outlook actually. We track we track all our devices because everyone has iPads and iPhones and and their computer. And so everybody does it in Outlook and then our amazing Jenny transfers that all into design manager based off the codes. She's very fast. She's amazing. But I will say you will always underestimate your time. When you see those hours at That's the true. end of the month, I'm like, damn, we busy. Like we're busy. Especially when you have other yeah. people working with you. So when you look at the hours actually spent on a project, I think there's no way I would have given that number. And those people would have like freaked out if I gave that number. Like right. as a flat rate, so when you I, see oh, the hourly add up, yeah, you're just like, I would have never yeah. got to that number. It would have been lower than and that so, if I, if you asked me to come up with it. 100%. And you know what I do? I believe it's all in presentation because I like a presentation. And so I always say to people, well, if your project is a 24-month project, it's this much per month, which doesn't seem like very much considering you're building an $8 million house and I'm the one who's going to make sure that you don't make any mistakes, right? So... Break it down by month. You can break it down by quarter. And um, that's why we bill monthly because that that number is share. Oh, someone's getting Amazon. Is it me? Is it you? So, you know, I think I think it's those kind of things that, that it's all in how you present the fee to people. And most of the time people are like, I came to you from, I saw you in a magazine or you did my neighbor's house or I saw it on Instagram. I'm like, this is what this costs. I don't know if you're going to like it, but this is the number. This is, and most people, when they're building a new house in our area, are spending like around the same amount to hire us and to furnish it. And it's like, so it is what it is, right? And it's not for everyone. We are a luxury service. I don't know when in the world people think, thought that like everyone needs a designer. Like it's a luxury service. So it's not for everybody. So, yeah, I feel like part of that is like influencing and blogging, design blogging started to give the impression that this is like an every person's thing. And I believe that everyone can benefit from it. Everyone should have a beautiful home. I think it changes the way you live. It changes your health and your well-being. But not everyone is going to be hiring a designer to do that. Like, there's just not always a place for all of that. I agree. Have the picture perfect house. I mean, no, 
I mean, and, yeah. and like, by the way, like nobody has a picture perfect house, right? I mean, it, everybody has a picture perfect house for the pictures, <laughs> but like, but I mean, <laughs> right. even our clients, I sometimes go over there and I'm like, what the hell happened? What'd you do? Uh, yeah. So, what did you do in here? Yeah. But people are just living. I mean, everybody puts their pants on one leg at a time, you know, people are just living their lives. Do yeah. you set like furnishing minimums or expectations around that? I do. And that also just people either don't care or they get real mad. So, you know, <laughs> it's a weird, it's a, I will tell you, I, I, you know, what's funny when we set our first furniture purchasing minimum, because our business model is a combination of hourly billing and purchasing, right? Yeah. And so when we set our first minimum and we send out like a little packet, when you're interested, that has like a little information, has the minimums. And I remember sending it out and people, we had about like, we had about like two calls a week. And so, you know, we sent it out and I swear to God, it was like 12 times we sent this thing out and we never heard back from people. And I remember coming home to my husband being like, I think I'm going to go out of business. And he was like, no, like this is it. He's like, he's like, no, I feel like this is what people are spending, you know, the people that you want, you know? And he's like, sit tight, sit tight. And I'm like, okay. You know? And then we got somebody who didn't say a word about the minimum or the, the cost. They were just like, when can you start? And I was like, if you build it, they will come. They are, yeah, they are there. So and think if I would have taken all those other yeah. people, I wouldn't have time for this person. So sometimes you just have to sit tight and know that, you know, the work is there and that the quality is there and you just have to wait. But it was real scary. It was like a scary couple. So are your minimums standard across all projects yeah. or do you customize it? No, for, we don't. Okay. No, it's just standard. We Because right at this point, like we, we're all, I know it seems like we're a lot of people, but half those people are on the retail side, right? So really, you know, it is a small company and we can really only take five or six mm-hmm. projects a year if they're new builds, like new build furnished, right? And so, you know, you want to make sure that you're, if you're taking that spot in the schedule that we can prepare, we have a designer, a lead designer that is assigned to the project. We have an assistant designer that is, you know, helping on that and that we can make sure that I'm involved in that because I'm involved in everything. I do all of, you know, I work on all of the projects. So I'm very heavily. So we really want to take things that are, that allow us to then, you know, be the most creative we can and, and fewer, bigger projects is, is better, you know? always. Yeah. And finish it. I mean, I think that's just like so many designers, we just get in these cycles with certain, like if it's too small of a client and they don't see the value or they don't let us photograph it and finish it. And so, yeah. So So, okay. So I have like a lot of rules, you guys. And so I, you do not get to ship anything to your house. You have to ship everything to my warehouse. We, that's part of the contract where we receive inspect. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then we install and style and reveal, period. So you still are able to do that post period, right? So all the supply chain stuff, you hold it until it's like, Mm -hmm. we're going to do a full install. This is our business model. This is our process. If you don't like it, then that's okay. There are plenty of designers that don't do it that way. This is the way we do it. Because when I style it and I make it fabulous, you buy it all, right? Yeah. So I make more money. You make more happiness, right? You're done. I'm done. We photograph it and we go away. So now that also I have a retail store full stuff, right? So this does model doesn't work for everyone. We always say like, what would designers do if they didn't have like five warehouses full of crap? So this doesn't work for everyone, but I will tell you, right. But I will tell you that 
when you do that, people just, they don't have in their brain, if they're not a creative human being, they don't see the value add, right? When you're like, I need another $20,000 for accessory budget. People aren't going to fucking give you that. Sometimes people are like, I don't want any art. I'm like, okay, cool. And then I bring in a bunch of art, right? Like (laughs) cool story, bro. (laughs) Yeah. If you've ever seen a gallery wall on my Instagram, my client has never approved that in the beginning, by the way, that's always a surprise. And then it's always stays, right? So like, I think you need to say like, I say like, I reserve the right to take creative license and accessories. And if you don't like any of it, I'll take it all back. And people are like, no shit. And I'm like, yep, I'll take it. Not the furniture, but not the custom furniture, but like, I will take all those accessories back, but it's going to look so good. You are going to keep them. What are you going to do? Go to home goods every weekend for the rest of your life? No, just trust me. Right. So how I long think is it going to take to you know, fill those built-ins in your living room? A thousand years. And you're going to do it in a crappy way. So like, I think it's really, <laughs> really important. You know, our store is filled with people coming in being like, I had a designer, but they didn't style it for me. And now I need your girls to help me style my bookcase or whatever. So I think a lot of times people just underestimate how regular people don't understand that process. And that if you give them an out they're more inclined, I think, to say, okay, go ahead. And then maybe they'll only keep 50%. Maybe you'll get better at it as you go. Like I feel like in the beginning, maybe everybody kept 50%, but that's still 50% more accessories that you're selling, right? And then, and now I would say people keep 99.9% of what we put in there. And we put a whole house full of accessories in. So you can imagine what those numbers look like. That I also don't think people realize that when they look at a Pinterest photo that what they love are the accessories like they may notice the tile and the wallpaper but really they're looking at the way it feels if you're a designer and you're not doing art and accessories you're not really doing your job because you're not finishing your project right so you need to finish the project so also that's a jewelry like do you leave the house without shoes on like do you leave the house without your purse because that is what is finishing the space so i think that you have to, that's not optional. Like that has to be, you have to finish the space. And even if it's like, okay, my package is that like, it's, it comes accessorized and then you can send everything back, then make that part of your package. You're going to just one room at a time, but get used to doing that because that's what makes you invaluable to people. I think. So, okay. So you set um so they know what their purchasing requirement is from the beginning. Yeah. It's part of their contract. They know what your rate is. They know what they're. We also tell them what we think they should spend on furniture, right? So we say, this is your square footage. This is what people spent. Now, these people had kids like you. These people over here were empty nesters and this was their forever house, you know? So we show them how this works, right? Like, hey, these people had a really high end art budget because they love high end art. You know, I think you're going to be in here and they'll be like, yeah, I'm more comfortable in this range, right? We do, we do Excel spreadsheets showing how much each room we think is going to cost. I talk about all that shit like in the first week. It's very important to get those conversations out of the way because then we have those numbers, we have those agreement, everybody's happy. And when I'm shopping and then I'm designing those, those things that they're seeing are in their budget. So there's no reason to go reselect, 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 reselect. And then when I see something super awesome that's not in their budget, I'm like, you guys, <laughs> I found this. Please just You're gonna show love you. this. Yeah. yeah. But and people appreciate Do you it. buy do you buy, do you start this buying while their like new build is underway? So yeah. that way you don't lose that budget? Like Oh yeah. Well, okay. I mean. We don't lose that budget because those people have committed to a minimum. So you have to, in our client agreement, they have to purchase, right? So 
you know, I think that we start. It's like, we don't start unless this is already obligated. Like you guys are locked in. This is our contract. You've signed one with the contractor too. You signed one with us. Correct. So uh, we, Mm -hmm. we need to finish the house. So I think you kind of get the feel for if people are not, maybe that are not, they can't afford it or they're, you know, really things are really tight. I think you'll get that feel right away, especially uh, like people who are running on a tight budget, aren't going to do an hourly fee. So I think we weed those people out, Mm -hmm. you know, knock on wood. Most of our clients are are very comfortable so that I don't, they don't, I don't worry about that. But I think you'll, if you are worrying about that, an hourly fee will weed those people out or, and, or, you know, you'll get those red flags and you should listen to your gut. Yeah. I think it's, it takes time to make people understand that this minimum is not an option. It's, this is part of the contract. This is what we've established. And like, don't sign it if you don't agree to it because it's not optional. Like, yeah. Well, we have a clause in our contract that says that you have to pay us 20% of the minimum if you don't meet the minimum. So Ooh, that's a meet. really big disincentive to like, hold on, are we going to lose this money and just have yeah. nothing for it? Or do we just press forward and get something for that 20% number? Like, right. I mean, I it's funny. That's like a new thing for me to lose sleep about now because I've never really thought about people not purchasing the furniture, actually. I mean, I have, but like... <laughs> That does it hasn't mm-hmm. happened uh, for us, but but I think I mean I really think that you you're gonna get like I always know that if we do a call with someone and if that during that first call they say like they have the basics already right so if they ask a lot of questions about budget and cost and that they're really cost driven we are not a cost driven firm right so like we are not we don't value mm-hmm. engineer as our first priority right. So I already know we're probably, that's probably not going to be the right person for us. If they talk about like, you know, timeline and, you know, finding the right team and how do we, and you know, you know, they're talking about like style and infusing, you know, unique items that I don't want a house that my neighbor has, then I know they're the right people for us, right? Because their priorities are those things and it's not cost driven. Because if somebody talks yeah. about cost the whole, the whole time during your first call, what do you think your whole project is going to be about? fucking cost, right? It's always that. Pulling teeth on cost the entire years you're working on their project. So I just choose to opt out of that. And I just choose to say that like that I get that and that, you know, that we might not be the right fit for those people. We are more concerned about creating like unique, interesting spaces that don't look like anything else on the block. Right. So, you know, yes, of course we'll give you a budget. We're not idiots. Like we'll give you a budget. We'll give you a range. That's why you get this packet, but that's not going to be the first and foremost thing. I think that people are concerned about if they're spending, you know, on our, on our company. So that's, that doesn't happen overnight. Let me say it louder for the people in the back. I am like 15 years into this fucking journey and I used to eat top ramen and have a lot of credit card debt. So Everybody sit tight and you just keep hustling because, you know, it's, it does not happen overnight. Yeah. It's a big, like, yeah, and I think, you can see how your work has progressed and see that sure. it started. Some, well, I don't know how long everyone's been following you, but like quick story, like I've been following Kate for a long time, like way back when I was I back. I mean, like I was in design school, started back in 2012. And yep. then I was like still in banking and I've been following like what you've been doing and then I don't, for the hotties who have listened for a long time, they'll know that at one point I told the story about how I interviewed with you in 2017. Oh my God, I totally forgot about that. 
That's right. And that was like, I was leaving design school. I'm like, oh shit, what do I do? And like, what am I going to do now? And I left my banking career because I just couldn't do it. But it was like that pathway of like, it. you did not just start with five to six new builds a year. It was like, oh, we're going to do like, some smaller remodel work and maybe I also a couple worked of rooms with like a lot. And it, I like worked, you just build up. Yeah, I worked with developers a lot in the beginning because in our area, there's like a lot of, you know, big kind of higher end developments happening. And so, you know, yeah. I did that. I did people's bathroom. I did a bathroom here and there. I did, you know, so did somebody's playroom. I did, you know, so it's not, this doesn't happen overnight. And I think that that's the biggest concern. I know when I speak at these conferences, people are like, well, I really only want to do like big new builds. I'm like, bitch, me too. Like, <laughs> I mean, who doesn't, <laughs> right? Like, but you kind of got to pay your yeah. dues and you've got to, the work has to be there. You know, you take, spend money on photography, finish those projects, accessorize them. And if somebody doesn't want to buy that stuff, just say, look, you know, I understand that you don't want to buy it, but would you mind if I took the afternoon and had it photographed as it is? And then I'll take everything back. You know, this helps me mm-hmm. with my website and, I can't imagine somebody saying no if you're you're trying to grow your business, you know? I, well, then fuck them. <laughs> Some people. Not great. Yeah, yeah exa- and that's the thing is where you realize like, okay, well, l- like beg, borrow, and steal your way through this. Mm-hmm. Get them out of your life as quickly yeah. as you can and move on to the next And just have better conversations. It, like. Yeah, I think the conversations I mean, I up think- front in the beginning, I have to tell you, I had a lady that it was like a, a last year, I think, who was really sweet and the project was great. The architect was great. And she said to me, I mean, she didn't really talk about cost or budget, but you know what she said to me? She said, well, I'm really just looking forward to finding someone that I can collaborate with. And I was like, mm. nope. Because guess what? You know what my business model is? This is not a collaboration. I am a fucking expert. You are my client. I'm going to learn you. I'm going to love you. And then you're going to go away for like two months, right? While I design your house. And yes, yes, you're going to give me feedback and you're going to be involved, but we are not collaborating. Okay. So I said, oh, I don't think I'm the right fit for you. And it was just like this really random thing where I was like, oh my gosh. And then I heard, you know, down the line, like, three designers later, still working on the house. Okay. So I just, I think the takeaway today should be like, listen to your gut, have those hard conversations. Sometimes it means it's not going to be the right project for you because not every project is the right project. Even in the beginning, like don't kill yourself. If you don't think this is the right person, you know, and if you're not finding the right people, then figure out where you want to be and go find those people. I networked with builders, developers. I networked with architects, real estate agents, and was like, these are the kind of projects I want to work on. These are kind of projects I work on. Find your people and market there. Like if you're marketing Mm -hmm. to the people that you don't want to be working with, you know, really rich people know other really rich people. It just works out that way. Right. So you're not going to get anywhere (laughs) if you're marketing to the wrong people. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so, you know, careful with your marketing dollars and your time. And I think also, you know, have those hard conversations early and be, be able to say like, I don't think this is right. And, and know that you're doing the right thing for your company. Yeah. I have another like kind of logistic question. Yeah. I know you're like huge on vintage I as am I. So how does that work? <laughs> I mean, maybe now you have warehouses full of stuff and you're able to inventory and it makes sense. Is that true? And if not, if it is, like, what did you do before you were able to like carry? So I really hope my bookkeeper isn't listening. 
I'd like to thank American <laughs> Express for not giving me a credit limit is really, mm-hmm. I feel like I owe all my vintage success to American Express. Okay. So before I would buy vintage when I could find it, but I also buy vintage low, right? So I'm not buying, I'm yeah. not going to like the Rose Bowl and paying like $8,000 for a chair because I'm not a moron, right? And so like, I have to resell this, right? So I really dig and try to find vintage at, you know, where I think is like a steal. And so then my vintage, when I was first starting out, it would live in my garage. It would live in like, you know, my husband would be like, is this a new dining table? I'm like, not for long, just until I find a home for it. So, you know, I would sort of, (laughs) we had like in the guest room, that was another reason we needed an office because I would fill it with things. And then, yeah, we haven't parked a car in a garage since we've known each other. So we would just fill the spaces. And then I have a receiving warehouse. So I would say, can you carve me out like a little space and I'll pay a monthly fee. And my receiver is like, yeah, no problem. So I would bring things there. Once that got really full, that's when I decided to open the retail stores because I figured, mm-hmm. you know what, I'll just buy what I like. And if it sells in the meantime, that sells in the meantime, sometimes I buy what I like and then I tag it for a client and it goes back to the warehouse because I know I'm going to use it for someone or I tag it for myself. And then it lives at my house for a little while until it inevitably lives somewhere else. My husband's like, I really like that chair. I'm like, sorry, there'll don't be another one. Yeah. So don't get attached. Don't fall don't in get- love. No. And the only thing permanent is me and it's not that any of the products, right? So, um, and then, yes, I mean, I have my, my cost of goods, you know, my, my cogs, the the word that I hate talking about with my bookkeeper, my cost of goods sold is very high at all times. Mm -hmm. So she's like, you got so much freaking inventory. So we do, we always have a lot of inventory. We always have a lot to choose from, but that's a great way to upsell your clients because you always have products on hand to say like, I'll style that for you. Do you need a refresh? Oh, it did your house five years ago. You're ready for, a re- we're ready. We're, we're ready we for it. a refresh. We so, have it. Yeah. Um, we have it. Yeah. So, and, and it also helped us during the pandemic because we had stuff yeah. and, but we do, we do, we do buy, I buy what I like when I can find it. Cause you'll never find it again. So and I still think about the chair. Yeah, yeah. I still, I still think about the chair I should have bought and, you know, like, so we're always looking, my family yeah. knows that like, we don't go on vacation without spending one day looking for items and they're all resigned to it and it is what it is. And so, you know, that's just, that's just part of, part of being a, a Lester. It's like part, <laughs> part hobby and part business is that yeah. you're, this is fun for you to be involved in it, but it also helps make money. So it's not just, it does. It does. oh, mom has to have a I day mean, where she works. S- it's like, no. Right. When you see like something that you found on the side of the road for, you know, and you got it for free and you sell it for $1,200, you're like, oh my God, you know, like I just put new knobs on that and then like fixed a drawer. So I think it's one of those things that, you know, it becomes like, I wish I could do that all the time, but I don't get to do it as much as I, as I would like, but it is still, still very much a, a hobby for me. Okay. Yeah. So basically you just have to hoard. You have to hoard and you have to, and you, you have, have to be able to hold the inventory. Hold like. the other day we installed something in someone's house that I'd have for like six years. So you have to no. hold. Yeah. And be like, you yeah. know, wow, this is perfect. This is the right spot for you. Okay. Like how it's like, gambling. I was afraid you were going to say gotta... that. 
<laughs> yeah, but you know, you also have to you also have to trust your gut. Like my little my you guys can see my little weird pelican lamp behind me. Like I buy the weirdest shit yeah. and my team is always like, I don't know. And then it's always like the first thing that sells when I bring it into the stores. So you have to trust your gut. There's a reason they pay you the big bucks, and it's because you have the eye. So if you see it and you like it and you can afford it, you should buy it because you probably sell it for twice what you bought it for, for sure. Yeah, I did so stop, the- learn, stop listening to that voice of the, oh, I don't know. Like where where anyone would be like, I don't know about that. I'm like, you don't need to know. I I yeah, know. Just, <laughs> like, yeah. I know about okay, it. Okay, also, <laughs> I do also want to say something about just having, can I just say something really quick about when you are selling products to your clients and you are doing your presentations and you're doing something I, I talk about like a lot at my office is like, we don't waffle. Like you don't, you don't waffle on things, right? So when you go to get your hair done and I go to the, like the most amazing man, Michael, and he is so expensive and fabulous. And I'm like, what should we do? And he's like, here's what we're going to do. We are doing this. You are going to be fucking gorgeous. We're going to do this. We're going to put the highlights. We're going to do that. And he's speaking in all these terms. I don't know, but I'm like, yes, yes, whatever you think. Okay. Yeah. That's why people come to you. So when you say, yeah, oh my no. God, this mm-hmm. is what we're going to do. You're not like, what do you guys think? Right? So I think work on that confidence level too in presentations and when you're presenting things and when you're selling vintage and when you're like, you have to use this. You have to have this. You must have this. People want to be told. Mm-hmm. Like that's why they're hiring you. They want to see how confident you are because then they're going to feel confident in hiring you. And so I think that's, it's a lot about that too. It's a lot about saying like, oh no, 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 that's not happening. Oh yes, yes, yes. This is happening. Or, you know, um, I have a client that like texts me and he's like, I'm at a convention and I saw this piece of art and I just write back, no, period. (laughs) And he's like, okay, that's what I figured. Thanks. (laughs) So like, you know, and his wife was like, thank God it was hideous, you know? So you want to get to the point where like you are the be all and all for people that trust you, which is gives you job security, multiple homes, you know? Well, it does. You want a professional to have conviction. Like you don't want your doctor to hem and haw. And right? like, maybe it's this, maybe when it's you that. Like, you want them to tell you. Like, oh, you need it here. I'm not like, do you really think so? I'm like, can just inject that shit. Let's yeah. go. Like I want to be 20 again. Right. Like hurry. Do so, it right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's, yeah, I don't want to collaborate with my defense attorney. If I'm <laughs> yeah, a criminal, right. like no, exactly. please help me. Like Hello. some people probably do though. Please and that's give, like, a no, it's, no, it's important. Like you, you want to tell your attorney, write me a contract where I can't get sued. And you're not going to be like, but I think, cause I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm like, I think whatever you yeah. think. Yes. So that's yeah. important. Sorry to, in our deck that, but I feel like that's no, really no, important. You're right. I think it is. It takes time to really lean into that as any in any role you work in ever. It takes time to really step into your mm-hmm. power and your expertise and know that that's there. And also, it is like projection. You do have to build it in front of you mm-hmm. at all times, even when you know you're the expert. Finally, you still have to put that out in front of you mm-hmm. because that's what people are looking for. They or need even someone when you're not to give sure. them the confidence. Like that's. We like, all even wake if I'm up. Not okay, sure, by like, the way, you guys, like we all wake up on days where it's like not happening. And how annoying is it when you are a designer mm-hmm. and you have a deadline and you're like, fuck, this is not coming together. Like, I hate all of this. And yep. I have to present this Hi, tomorrow. Right. Today. Like, like I want to be Kanye, who's like, I don't know, maybe I'll let my new album drop when I feel like it. Right. Like, I have to work on a deadline <laughs> because people are paying me a shit ton of money. So I'm like, oh, on Thursday, we're having a meeting and you're flying in for a meeting. Like, I better make sure this comes together, right? It has to be there. Yeah. And so I get it. Like, there's, you know, it sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it does. But I also feel like 
lots of people are creating things that look identical because that's like what is on Mm -hmm. Pinterest or whatever. Like I think more people need to lean into like, who are you? And like, what is your design site? Like I like color. I like things that are a little edgy. I like abstract art. I like when things don't match. That is not always what's on Pinterest right now. And so I think like that was scary for me when I started to lean in and say like, I'm probably alienating myself because that's not what clients are seeing online. But then I think, in fact, it actually made me more unique and interesting because it's not what my clients are seeing online, right? So I think it like find your style and like lean into that. Like it doesn't have to look like everything else. And once I lean into like, who am I and who, and I am the lady that wears ripped jeans to my client meetings and it's just who I am. And I say bad words sometimes and I am like make horrible jokes during my presentations. That's just who I am. And it's not for everyone, but I think when you find your lane and then you start to like go faster in your lane because you found it, you know? And I think a lot of people are kind of like waffling around being like, Oh, I want to be like studio McGee or I want to be like Amber. I want to be like, and it's like, they're already taken. Like that is already done. Like, who are you? You know? So I, I encourage you to sit down and be like, who am I? Like, what is my style? What is my aesthetic? And I think that helps you kind of like then grow in even more into that. Great. Very good. We've been having conversations just with each other about like, how do we shake this out of, we, we see, you know, designers who are new, new to what they're doing or new to being yeah. on their own. Maybe they've been experienced doing it, but they, they're like, well, I'm just going to pick this thing because it's selling and it's out there and everyone's doing ah, that. Okay. And that's. And I'm just going to sell, I'm just going to do that because that's what I see other people selling. And I feel like that's who will buy what I do. And then you talk to some of them and they're like, oh yeah, I like don't like any of these, but like, I don't, you know, they'll see something else that's more interesting, more colorful, more pattern, more whatever. And then they're like, I love all that, but no one will ever ask me. No one will ever ask me to do that because none of the stuff I've done looks like that. Nothing will ever look that way. So they almost have like created their own prison of but projects how do you know? like how do you, only doing that how do you stuff? know like, that no one will let you do that like what i think is like that's safer right so that you think you're gonna get an yeah. approval right but let what what if i remember okay i forget i think it was oliver first i a long time ago it, it was just like a life-changing moment for me and i don't know him but i would love to tell him this maybe i'll dm him on instagram after this <laughs> i remember reading a magazine <laughs> and i was opening architectural digest and in the back Oliver Firth was in there with his, with a fucking powder room. It was like a sink and a toilet, right? And it was the coolest powder room I had seen in like, I don't know, years. And I thought to myself, like, wait, this dude got an architectural digest doing a powder room? Because I, (laughs) in my mind, was saying, I'm not going to do anything cool yet. I'm going to wait for my big projects. Mm -hmm. And that's when I'm going to do my cool stuff. But guess what? Mm -hmm. Every project you have is the project for you right now. So you need to make that mm-hmm. project as cool as you fucking can because that project is going to get you the cool people who are then going to get you the next cool project, which is going to... So people sometimes are saying, well, I'm just going to get by until I get my big project. But that's not how this works. So you need to take that powder room mm-hmm. and you need to max that powder room the fuck out, right? So that that is your architectural digest powder room, okay? And then... That is going to be so cool that that person is going to open it up and they're going to be like, I got a full house. And that power room is going to get you the cool full house, right? So I started to look at each project like that. Like, you want me to do your guest house? 
be careful because it's going to be the coolest guest house you've ever seen. Right. So I think people are thinking of it backwards and they're like, I'm just going to do these boring projects because they're safe. People want to be scared. Like when we present something and I see people's eyes are like, that means we're doing a good job. <laughs> if they're like, oh, this is yeah. nice. I'm like, fuck, we should have gone bigger. You know, I don't, I yeah, want yeah. them they could to have like, tolerated more. Like totally. You're supposed to be pushing their boundaries. If they're like, oh, I love that chair. I'm like, fuck, because you know what? You should never have seen this chair before that I'm showing you. So if you're showing them a bunch of oh, shit, yeah. they've already ever, they've already seen, why do they need you? Show them stuff that's going to knock their socks off. Go deep into the interwebs. Mm-hmm. Go, go through your inspiration. Go find vintage things that maybe you can't buy, but you can recreate at a better price point. You know, knock their socks off at least with one or two pieces per room and see how that changes your, your look. It'll elevate, you know, yes, you can do things that people have seen before, but try not to try to make it more interesting. That's why they called you. Yeah. And it'll attract more of that. Like I know there's designers I know that feel like they never get requests for the things that they want to do, but they're also not showing those things. So of course no one's asking them for that. And if you start with something that's super weird, right. And you're like max them out. Mm -hmm. Then if they take one or two things out because it's too much, it's still really good. Right. So we always like max it out and we're like, yes. And then sometimes they're like, okay, we trust you go. And we're like, Oh no way. That's awesome. And then sometimes they're like, (laughs) what is this a chair? Is this a sculpture? What is this? And we're like, just, okay, fine. We'll switch that one out. So I think if you max out, then if somebody takes out one or two things, you're still in that really cool range where you're like, I'm and saying to them, I'm not going to create what's on the internet for you. I'm too expensive for that, right? Like I'm too expensive for you to be getting exactly what your neighbor has. Like mm-hmm. let's have, let's, do, let's, I always say like, we can do better than this. Like let's be better than that. We're not giving you that mm-hmm. fireplace because I've seen it a million times. We're going to give you the new fireplace. It's going to be the new thing, but you're going to have had it first. So I think, you know, making sure that you're, you're really thinking about that when you're designing, like don't just churn and burn, Right. Like make it special. And if you're doing yeah. 30 projects or three, like every room, every fireplace detail, I spend forever looking for cabinet hardware. I spend forever take every cabinet as an opportunity to be like, wow, this could be so great. I could find something really interesting or weird. Weird things are scroll stoppers, right? So if you want that, you know, mm-hmm. that feedback from people, I think, you know, you want to do things that are different. Everybody has a boucle chair. Let's just not do that. <laughs> Yeah, let's I do love, something different. I love Bootle, we finally yeah. can. Yeah. Yeah. I it's not going to be the scroll stopper, though. Uh huh. Yeah. Boucle chairs can be beautiful, but they're not going to be the scroll stopper. They're probably. not. I mean, I, I think, like, yes, of course. I mean, we've all done them. It's fine. But I just think, like, I, that's my example of, like, okay, great. Like, but what else could we do? What could we find something better? Mm-hmm. And I think in our office, it's like a game, right? Like, who can find the coolest? headboard on the interwebs right and then they, they're all tacked up and i'm like well i like all of these you know so i think that's the idea of you know if you're if, if you're really tr- you know like teaching your team to think outside the box like don't you dare send me inspiration images from like the top five designers i don't want to see that i want to see weird ass shit yeah. you found at the bottom of the barrel somewhere in an old book from like 1970 that's what i want to see mm-hmm. you know yeah Bring, bring the weird, Love bring it. the new and interesting. Like, I think it's a fantastic way to just change the way we think about things. And I, 
it's a it's fascinating to see that correlation like you mentioned of like starting to create the projects that you want and putting that out there yeah. and and it's changed it's changed a lot for you like you said it's 15 years in the making so i think it also reinforces this idea that it doesn't happen overnight and you might end up with that one project that really launches a lot of mm-hmm. things or gets a lot of new ideas moving but i think it's it's encouraging for designers and for me even to hear like hey like that you don't know which one it's going to be. Just keep putting the good work out there. Keep doing it. And it's it's there. It's just you have to keep being intentional about it. And I think also stay true to your process, right? And you're... I, okay, I'll tell you one more story that I've never told. And then, and then you can kick me off. But okay, so I have a really great friend who's a real estate agent. And he said, you know, there's this other real estate agent who is... She's really big up and coming and she needs someone to do her house, right? I'm like, great. So I... I talked to her and I sent her my sheet, you know, my packet. And she's like, yeah, this minimum is too high. Right. And so I was like, okay. And I tell her, well, it might not be the right fit for you, blah, blah. Right. So he calls me and he's like, dude, I think you should still do the house. And I was like, I don't, I'm, but she can't meet my minimum. And he's like, I think you should do it. It could be good Mm -hmm. for you in the long run. Like think of it as an investment. And I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to stick with my plan and my process. I'm going to take projects with people who can meet the minimum. Right. Okay. So, okay, great. Okay, great. Everything's fine. Two years later, I get a call from a guy who bought a super, who bought this enormous house, many, many millions of dollars. And he says to me, I got referred to you by my real estate agent. She told me she wanted to hire you, but you were way too expensive. So she thought you would be the perfect fit for me. Hmm. So weird. Stay true to your process. Being too expensive, mm-hmm. maybe it didn't hurt me, right? So a really interesting story, right? Of like, I stayed true to my process. And if I had done her house, would I have gotten his? I don't know. Yeah. I don't think so. Because he'd be like, wait, they did your house? Yeah. No, nah, I want someone better. Okay. So yeah, I, I want a different know. look or right. a different thing. A different, I want a more higher end look, right? Or the next I, level. Yes. Yeah. So if you're saying, I want these people and you're not it, stay true to that, right? And yeah. there, it's not to say that there aren't sleepless nights where you're like, oh shit, maybe I should have taken that. But I think we we say <laughs> trust the process. We say fuck you, pay me, and then we say trust the process like a lot over and over and over. Sometimes I say it while crying to myself, <laughs> but you know, trust that process and and hustle and do the things, you know. But also write the process. I think that's like the step that like get clear on your process. Yeah. Like, like if you don't have a five year, really if, you don't, to be? if you don't have your five year plan, every time someone comes to you with a potential, you know, like we talk about with, with the product line or, you know, opening a retail store, whatever it is you like, is that in your plan? And if it's not in your five year plan, then it's very easy for you to say, Oh, well, thank you for the opportunity, but no. Right. So, um, I know that my five-year plan was getting bigger projects that were higher caliber. So every time somebody came to me and they didn't meet the minimum, I knew that that just wasn't going to get me closer to my five-year plan. So I would have to say, you know, this is not my business model. So I think know your plan. If you don't have a five-year plan, that's the first thing you should be doing after you listen to this podcast. For sure. I love it. Good actionable stuff Start from, typing. from oh today. God. Hopefully the hotties yeah, were taking busy. notes or they're going to rewind and take more notes. Of, yes, <laughs> like, please take Go notes. back again. Listen, listen to it once, let it sink in, then listen to it again and take your notes on what you need to do or change yes. or what you want to approach differently. Because I think it's a fantastic way to look at it holistically of who do you want to be? What type of business do you want to have? 
what types of clients and projects do you want? They all kind of go together. Yeah. So. I mean, it's, I mean, if you work in corporate America, this is what you do for every kind of, you know, project that you work on. You, you start with your actual goals. You, you make your plan just because we're creatives. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be doing those things and checking in with ourselves every year. You know, what's my one year plan? What's my five year plan? My husband and I do that personally and professionally. It's really important. And then, when something comes up and you're like, oh, is this going to get me closer or farther away? Then you don't have to waste a lot of time thinking about it because you know where you're headed. Yeah. Yeah. You have a lot of clarity because yeah. of that. And so that makes it easier in your own personal life and in your business life to know if something aligns with yeah. what you want to do. It sucks sometimes because you're like, nope, got to stay true. Got to focus. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Thank you so much, Kate. Like, I feel very inspired. And also just like thinking about the long term, I think is in general, just something when you're in like a scarcity mindset, perhaps like you're only thinking about what's in front of you, but it's going to possibly like hurt you later. So, or probably hurt you. I think so. I think, well, yeah, yeah, you never know. I mean, you do, you know, I mean, I've been there. I know when you have to take the projects that you may not love, but at the same time, you know, how are you working towards that? Right. Is that, are you setting that minimum and starting low? Right. And saying like, okay. And then, and then maybe every year that, that minimum, you're getting plenty of projects, you raise it a little bit in, incrementally, you know, but I think that, that it's there and, and you can do it. I think everybody can do it. If you, if you stay true to that process. Fantastic. Thanks, Kate, guys. can you share with our listeners where they should follow along Yes, and keep up with you? Yeah, I'm always on the gram. I'm on Instagram at KL Interiors and Kate Lester Home is my retail brand. So you can always catch up with me there. I run my social media, KL Interiors myself. So if you DM me, it will be me messaging you back. I do try to answer all my messages. So I love to, I love to meet you guys in real life. So if you listen, send me a note. Tell me what you liked or didn't like. Be awesome. Thank you so much for being so generous with your yeah. time and with the transparency around your business. I really appreciate it. And I know the hotties will love that too. So thank mm-hmm. you. I love hotties. Get out there and get hotter hotties. <laughs> Do it. There we go. We're working on it. Let's, awesome. get, let's be hot and rich. Go make that money. Get that bread. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Young and rich designers club. Exactly. There, there we go. Yes. Thanks thank for you, having Kate. me, guys. I appreciate it. Have thank a good you. one. You too. Thanks for listening to the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. For more on what we talked about today, check out the show notes. Your support helps us grow, so share with your design besties. And subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Our conversations continue on Instagram. And be sure to download our monthly resources on our website and our Patreon. 